real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb and then smart again. I'm Jill Michelle Malian, and now socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles. Here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Dilma Shemelian. So nice to see you. Thank you for stepping in. Uh, we obviously uh, do not have Helen Hahn this week. Helen, somehow in the middle of a pandemic, has managed to book a movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. For those who don't know, you have actually were a previous guest on our show. If I yes. recall, your topic was uh, was Drew Barrymore. Yes. <laughs> and you did quite well. Uh, <laughs> I love Drew Barrymore. I mean, she's my favorite. <laughs> That I believe you were the first person to actually impersonate uh, one of one of their topics. Although we'll see what happens on today's we'll see what happens on today's show. And uh, w- what about that experience made you think I would be willing to come back and uh, and be a co-host if asked? Um, I just had so much fun, and it's like at first you think it's nerve wracking because you're like game show. Immediately you're like competition, oh. and I had such a blast, and it was it was I actually learned some stuff too. So that's pretty cool. That makes me want to keep coming back, and now I get to yeah. co-host with you, which is even better. It is. That's sort of the dirty little secret of the show is that shh, it's kind of educational. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Jill Michelle, who is up first. He is an Emmy-nominated comedy writer and performer known for his work on Mystery Science Theater 3000 and is part of a movie riffing show, The Mads. It's TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. Hello, Frank Conniff. Hey, hi. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's so wonderful to see you. Uh, Before we talk about uh, all those fun things in your career, I have to ask, how is your cat Millie doing? You've been posting about her on social media. God bless you for asking. Yeah, uh, well, she's, you know... Millie is the social media star. The only reason I have a social media following is because of my cat, Millie. And she had some major medical problems lately. She had a, an operation. They had to remove a kidney oh, stone gosh. from her. She's back and she's doing Yay. great. She's so awesome. Excellent. Uh, now let's talk about uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's bizarre to me. This was over 30 years ago that yes. that show premiered. Does it, does, does, what does, that, does that resonate for you at all? Does that feel real that it was that long ago? None of us, when we were doing it, ever knew that it would last beyond its run. And, mm. you know, like a lot of shows, they just kind of come and go. But um, it's amazing, and I'm particularly grateful because even after all these years, the fans of the show are supporting me. <laughs> they're kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, of they're, they're my biggest supporters, uh, and Traceable, you and I, we do our live Mad show, and people have been so supportive of that, so I'm just, I'm just so lucky to be a part of it. Well, uh, you mentioned the, the, the Mads and Riff Tracks and Cinematic Titanic. These are all uh, shows that we're, you've been a part of where you riff on movies. Right. Uh, is there a movie that stands out, and there's got to be probably hundreds that you've done by now. Is there one that stands out as, this is a movie that seems to have been made to make fun of? The one that's kind of the iconic one that we did on Mystery Science Theater was Manos, The Hands of Fate, which um, it's this devil-worshipping movie made in the uh, 60s, I have the distinction of being the one to discover it. 
and un mm. unleash it on the world, which <laughs> is something uh, I might have to answer for uh, at some point. Uh, when How I do meet. you discover a movie like that? Well, it was my job when I worked on the show to, I, had to, I went through all these tapes of movies from wow. various distribution companies, um, and I just found it in a, po in a box of tapes, and I'm like, uh, this is horrible. I, we, have, <laughs> we have to share it with everybody. And, and there's a few movies like that that we've done. Um, uh, the one that uh, Trace Blue, you and I are doing in our upcoming live streaming show is called Walk the Dark Street. It stars Chuck Connors. It was made in the 50s. Nobody's ever heard of it. And believe me, it is bad. <laughs> There's a reason. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned that you're doing these uh, live streaming shows now uh, with, with with Trace. Obviously, I'm sure you miss the, the the fun of a live audience, but it, it's so cool to see that 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 it still works. It's still good. It's a people good are, good people are tuning into it and really yeah. enjoying it. And you know, people these days they need good home entertainment to get us through this whole thing. And people are are really loving it and we're really loving doing it. So another, another thing that I'm just very grateful for. Now you've also got a podcast where you guys talk about movies, except you're not there to make fun of them necessarily. No, well, we have a show uh, that we did with our friend Carolina Hidalgo, who's a very funny comedian. It was called um, Movie Sign with the Mads. And that's I mean, we did talk about some movies that were bad, but it was mainly an opportunity to just discuss our passion for the movies that we love. Mm. People think that all I want to do is talk about bad movies and <laughs> make fun of movies and talk during movies. And I'm a passionate film buff, and I much prefer to talk about the movies that I love. Yeah, it seems like you have to be a lover of movies in order to be a specific in identifying what's terrible about bad movies. And even the movies that we do on Mystery Science Theater and that Trace and I do now, we have great affection for. We've mm. done uh, many times we've riffed the Ed Wood movie, uh, Glenn or Glenda, which is mm -hmm. really a terribly made movie, is incompetent on many levels. But on the other hand, it's, it's a very compassionate plea understanding of transsexuals made in the mm. 50s you know mm. and it's a really soulful kind of a beautiful movie as crazy and as badly done as it is so we we've rifted a million times but we actually genuinely unironically love that movie excellent well i genuinely and unironically love that you are joining us tonight mr Thank frank Connor. thanks for being Same here, here. jill michelle against whom will frank be competing she is a writer and actor who recurred on The Big Bang Theory and Mom, and now stars as Amanda LaRusso on Cobra Kai. She's my favorite character on that show. It's Courtney Hangler! <laughs> Hi, Courtney! Hi. Cobra Kai. Oh my God, this is such a fun show. I've seen a lot of people post about it uh, recently on, on social media, and uh, I, I finally got to watch it. And what I love so much about your character is that there, there's a lot of characters on there that we're familiar with and that we have to deal with sort of their, their prehistory of this show. And then you kind of come in sometimes and are like, now what's all this now? <laughs> and, uh, which could be a thankless role, but I think you make it, you make it so, uh, so present. And I think you speak, the best I you, can. you speak for a lot of the audience where we're like, wait a minute, you guys are two adults who are right. still hashing this crap <laughs> right, out. Right, right. I think that's what the writers want. They're like, we just wanted like somebody to speak for the audience being like, are you yeah. so these like 50 year old men are yeah. still... Still karate chopping us up. Yeah. Uh, I did. But the great thing is, is that you're you're not you're not bitchy about it, which is so lovable, you know. And you do oh, speak for the you. audience. So I just that's why I was like, oh my god, thank God she's on this because you really <laughs> you call it out. You're like, yeah, no, that's not gonna yeah. happen. So. <laughs> 
It's a lot of fun. It's uh, the show started out as a YouTube show, and uh, now it's been on Netflix, and I understand the next season is going to be uh, on, uh, as a Netflix show. Is that right? Is, yes. Is there a difference yes. in it being suddenly a Netflix show versus a YouTube show for, for you? Yeah, because it was, we came out, I think we started in 2018, and we actually had like oh, a couple million views on it, but like no one, my family never saw it. Mm. Like right now I'm getting texts being like, oh my God, Courtney. <laughs> You're, you're so cute in your show. And I was like, hello, welcome to 2018. I'm so happy to Mom. <laughs> um, and then Netflix is, of course, is Netflix. And when we found out that they took us over and bought us, we were like, well, at least maybe a few more people will see us. And it's like number one yeah. in the world. Yeah, I was going to say, as, as we record this, it is the number one show one on show Netflix right the, now. That's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's uh, kooky. Yeah. Uh, and I, I read recently that uh, season three was already filmed and is in the can. Yes, last year this time we were filming season three. Oh, so, goodness. So I assumed we were going to be, as soon as we, I was like, okay, so I'll, we'll, we'll see it this fall. And that is yeah. not the case. Yes. <laughs> Apparently it, it's not till 2021. Yeah. So. Uh, and and I, I read that uh, season three, a lot of it takes place in Japan. Uh, were you able to be a part of uh, that as well? I was not. Oh, uh, season, we four. All, we, season we, four. We all, saw, we all saw that. We're like, what? Okanawa? Okay. Yeah. And then that's. Did not happen. <laughs> we're not having a we're not having an Amanda Del Russo in Tokyo uh, spinoff or anything like that. Perhaps we'll season so. we'll seventeen. So. <laughs> uh, uh, Jill Michelle in your intro mentioned that you are a writer and uh, your latest project is going to be on Lifetime. Uh, tell us about this uh, movie that you wrote and produced. My husband makes movies, so I realize this now is going to sound like my husband got me the job, but he did. Uh, he writes, he, he makes, he makes movies. He sells them. Uh, sometimes he sells them to lifetime, whatever. And he's like, oh, my investor is looking for like a female thriller. You got any ideas? And I just pitched a couple ideas and they like those ideas. And he's like, can you write that? And I was like, sure. <laughs> um, cut to, I did. And, uh, lifetime bought it. And tell us what it's called. The secret life of a celebrity surrogate. And yeah. uh, and did you put yourself in the movie? I did not. I well, my voice is in there only okay. because we could not get. They could, you you couldn't afford you. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I'm YouTube's Courtney Hangler. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, I we couldn't find somebody to keep. I guess I was just very particular in what I wanted this one character to sound like, and we couldn't find anyone to do it. I'm like, I'll just do it. And then my husband's like, I don't even think that sounds good either. <laughs> but anyway, my voice my voice stayed in it, so my, I, have a, I have like a voiceover somewhere in there. That's great. Um, That's great. No. Congratulations on that. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember you had a really wonderful scene in the movie Friends with Benefits uh, with Justin Timberlake. <laughs> uh, what was it like shooting with, with JT that seemed to be uh, such a, a fun and sexy scene? Um, yeah, it was, it was like at 6 a.m. Oh, and nice. I, and I rolled up and it was very it was very fast it was all very it was like the fastest movie making I've, I've ever seen and there was a plane and I walked in and then they like introduced me to Justin Timberlake and I remember just like holding on his hand and being like you have blue eyes like like that's what came out of my eyes I, I don't know I don't know what I thought his eyes looked like I don't know what I was just like your eyes are blue and he was all of a sudden you could just tell he was like it's <laughs> like, oh, oh, she's one of those. Just it, just it. And I was like, be cool, Courtney, be cool. And then we shot it. And I think we took the, we took the little, uh, no one can see what I'm doing, but it's golf the cart. little golf cart. Uh, golf cart. Thank Nintendo. you. Back to the, okay. back to the trailers. And I, he was in the front and I was in the back. And so he was kind of talking, being very polite. And he was like, he's like, yeah, well, I have a, a place in New York. And I was like, oh, where? Because I'm from New York. Because of genuine interest, because if someone mentions they're from New York, I want to know right. where. But then it just sounded, and he was just like, oh, I just, it's just in the village. I'm like, oh, where? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm going to just... Anyway, I don't think Justin Timberlake is going to be um, 
ask me to be in any more movies. I think it's well, not. if you watch Save Cobra me. Kai, he might just re. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Yeah, get in on this. Get it's, it's get in me. on this. Excellent. Well, we're so happy that uh, you joined us. Thanks for being here, Courtney Hengler. Yay. Thank you. Frank and Courtney, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Frank, you said you know a lot about the singer and songwriter Laura Nero, mm -hmm. Tin Pan Alley songwriters of the 1930s, and the Kennedys. Whereas Courtney, <laughs> a bit of a contrast, you said you know a lot about Britney Spears, the yep. TV show Beverly Hills 90210, and cooking for a Jewish man who is afraid of butter. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. I know which one I'm rooting for. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some pairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, standing on ceremony. First up is Frank. Frank, they both indicate a way someone holds themselves in a ceremony, perhaps, but what is the difference between a physical stance and a physical posture? A physical stance and a physical posture. Well, I think it's, well, my guess is that a stance is something you maybe uh, consciously achieve, and a posture is just like me slumping in a chair like I always do and, you know, <laughs> making, a, making a bad impression because it comes naturally to me. Whereas a stance, it comes naturally to make a bad yes. impression. Whereas uh, a, a stance, a physical stance is maybe something you are, you're doing on purpose. On purpose. Okay, well, we've got Frank's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Courtney, if you think he didn't get it quite right, you can steal. What do you think? I mean, I feel like he's like some, pretty close, but I think that stance is what's happening on the inside. Ooh. And posture is what you're showing on the outside. Mm. And if you could watch me right now, I'm showing you what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. And I have no idea what's going on on the inside. <laughs> with, with that exactly. All right. Well, this segment is starting to slump. Let's go to Jill Michelle Mellian at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Stance describes the position your body is in while you're on your feet. It is also much more of an active conscious <laughs> choice. Posture describes the position your body is in no matter what you are doing, whether standing, sitting, or even lying down. And while posture can be an active conscious choice, it usually describes a passive position that your body is in. That's right. And by the way, despite what we've seen in movies, balancing a book on your head doesn't necessarily improve your posture, especially if it's an ebook. Jill so Michelle, <laughs> how did our guest do? I am going to give Frank one point because we were really looking for stance to be more about the physical, like being on your feet, right. where he just said it was more consciously achieved. It's more on purpose. So, Frank, I'm just going to give you one. But still, that's one point. That's really good. Yes. One point for Frank. <laughs> All right. Well, up next in Standing on Ceremony is Courtney. Courtney, your question oh. comes from a <laughs> listener. Who is it, Jill Michelle? It's from Matt Barentine. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for what's the difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Thank you, Jill Michelle, and thank you, Matt. All right, Courtney, in the topic of standing on ceremony, they both describe events where you might have to stand, but what's the difference between ceremonial and ceremonious? Ceremonial and ceremonious. Ceremony feels like the act of of celebrating the, of, of doing something, and ceremonious seems like the the fluff. The fluff. Can you be a little more specific on the fluff? <laughs> Even though I appreciate the confidence, you, you you pretty much did a mic drop right after you said the fluff. And ceremonious is an adjective that describes the ceremony. The end. 
Thank you. <laughs> Whereas ceremonial is not an adjective. It's, it's not that. It's the, it's the action. It's, it's the, the action, action itself. In which it up. Yes. Okay. Well, we've got Courtney's answer. <laughs> we do not know, as a matter of fact, if she is correct or not. Frank, what do you think? I think that uh, ceremonial is more describe the actual event, whereas mm -hmm. uh, ceremonious would describe the way a person behaves in something that doesn't necessarily have to be a ceremony. So, uh, yeah, so that's my uh, very um, not particularly convincing answer. All right. Well, it is time to hold a funeral ceremony for this segment. Let's go to Dilma <laughs> Shamelian at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Ceremonial describes objects or actions used in an actual formal ceremony. For example, at a wedding, you will have the ceremonial rings. Ceremonious describes actions that seem very formal, but are unrelated to a specific ceremony. For example, at a snooty restaurant, a maitre d' might ceremoniously click his heels or gesture with a flourish to show you to your table. That happened Did to me at Arby's last week. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of Arby's are you going to? They said America's roast beef. Yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and just to complete that, it's an action yes. done with great formality, but is completely completely unrelated to the actual ceremony. That is right, of course. Now, you can have ceremonial actions done in a ceremonious manner, like a school principal who hands out diplomas at a graduation ceremony, but treats each one like he's a Price is Right model showing off a can of turtle wax. Jill <laughs> Michelle, how did our guest do in that round? Courtney was correct with ceremonial. I say she gets a point for that. Um, hey. But then Frank came in and uh, cleared up ceremonious. And so he gets a point. So I would say one uh. point for Courtney and one point for Frank. That was, that was smart <laughs> of me to steal from Courtney. And time. what is our score at the end of that entire <laughs> round, Jill Michelle? Frank has two points and Courtney has one. That's right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hello there, ghouls and gals. It is I, April Wolf. I'm here to take you through the twisty, scary, heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as Switchblade Sisters. The concept is simple. I invite a female filmmaker on each week and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like the Babadook director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. <laughs> it's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where the score is Frank Conniff with two points and Courtney Hengler with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Woo! Thank you, Jill Michelle. All right, Frank, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Laura Nero, Tin Pan Alley songwriters of the 1930s, and the Kennedys. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Laura Nero. Uh, yeah, she's a um, singer-songwriter, uh, very influential on probably any singer-songwriter or musician that you are into, whether it's Elton John or Elvis Costello or, or, or Joni Mitchell. What's wonderful about her to me is that, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when we get into the music, it, we, we become passionate about a musical artist. It usually starts very young, but she's a very late-in-life passion of mine. I, I just discovered her like about seven years ago. 
and she's my favorite musical artist now. And mm. she she did like all these brilliant albums in the late '60s, um, and a lot of people recorded her songs: The Fifth Dimension, Three Dog Night, Barbara Streisand. So she really was known as a songwriter for other artists, but her own albums that she made herself are, are just brilliant, and I'm, I'm very passionate about her. For those who don't know, she had some monster hit songs. What are some of the songs that people would be familiar with without necessarily knowing it was her? The Fifth Dimension did Stone Soul Picnic, and uh, actually her most famous song might be Wedding Bell Blues mm. that, the, that a lot of people did. Three Dog Night did Eli's Coming, and uh, Barbara Streisand did uh, Stony End. Mm. I've, I've posted her stuff on Twitter, and there's a couple people that have told me, oh, I never even heard of her, and now I'm a huge fan. So I, I love that. I might be one of those people. Oh, great, great. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, songwriters, uh, you also said you know a lot about Tin Pan Alley songwriters of the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a big jazz guy as well, and, and rather than, say, give you jazz as my category, which is too broad, um, uh, I, I thought that Tin Pan Alley songwriters like uh, was a more specific thing. And I have over the years, I think, I think I've developed a lot of knowledge about uh, George Gershwin and Jerome Kern and Cole Porter and Irving Berlin and all of the songwriters of, those er- of that era whose music I, I, I just love, you know. And also I think because I love stuff from a long time ago, obscure, obscure I love reading about those people because it ties in kind of theater of that era and movies mm. of that era and, um, you know, and the world of, of that time. And uh, so I, it, it's, I, think I, I think I've developed a lot of knowledge about that topic. Great. And then finally, you said you know a lot about the Kennedys. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I grew up um, uh, around politics. My dad was a journalist, but he ran for Congress in 1964. He was a, uh, a friend of the Kennedys, uh, a friend of, uh, of JFK. And, and I've actually learned from books. I've actually learned from a few books I've read that my dad had a relationship with Joe Kennedy, the patriarch of the whole family. The Kennedys are just one of those things I grew up with, and I think I've just gathered a lot of knowledge about them. So I kind of relate to their politics, and I also relate to them because I also come from a dysfunctional Irish family with uh, alcohol problems. So <laughs> Don't we that, all? That, yes, you're here. Let's, let's all raise a toast. Yes. Uh, Vice tea. Uh, all right, so to summarize, Frank, you said you know a lot about Laura Nero, Tin Pan Alley songwriters of the 1930s, and the Kennedys. Today we're going to quiz you about the Kennedys. I, I, had, a, I had a feeling you were. <laughs> Do you keep current with the, the younger generations of the Kennedys? Well, the, the newer, you know, Joe Kennedy uh, just ran against uh, Markey in, in um, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah. And was defeated, and I was rooting against him. And I thought huh. that whole run was a very douchebaggy kind of run, <laughs> run for the Senate. I supported the more progressive Kennedy, although Joe Kennedy is probably an okay guy and everything but um but I, I i i was against him this time all right well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question but before that to give you a chance to show off here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth one point if you want mm. it you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions mm. now courtney do listen closely because you can steal if frank gets any of them wrong by the way courtney how much do you know about the kennedys i mean nothing <laughs> 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 which is odd because uh on on this uh, zoom call i noticed 
you raising your arms triumphantly when that was the chosen topic for <laughs> It's the Frank. only thing I've actually heard of from his okay. topic. <laughs> <laughs> I just recognize the word Kennedy. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a we've got an intergenerational battle going on here. We'll see if uh, Frank gives oh, you, you, you guys, a chance to jump um, in. You misunderstood. I meant Kennedy, the, uh, the VJ from MTV. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well... Let's see how you do with these nonetheless. Here's question number one. You mentioned the patriarch, but when you live to age 104 are survived by five children, 28 grandchildren, and 41 great-grandchildren, many of whom became noted for their public service, you get to be called a matriarch. Who was this matriarch of the Kennedy family? Uh, that was Rose Kennedy, the um, Joe Kennedy's um, wife, and um, who he occasionally spent time with when he wasn't hanging out with Gloria Swanson. Jill Michelle? That is correct. Rose Kennedy, that's a point for Frank. Went by Rose Fitzgerald originally. Uh, fun fact, Rose Right, her, 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 her dad was, was, uh, was a famous politician uh, who was the mayor of Boston. Well, you know what? My fun fact is Rose's father was also in politics. He served in yeah. Congress and was a mayor of Boston. You definitely know your stuff. Yeah. All right, here's question number two. John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, and Ted Kennedy were three brothers who spent their lives in public service. But there was only one position in the government that each of them held at one time or another. To what position were all three of these Kennedys elected? They were each elected um, to the uh, United States Senate. Jill Michelle? That is correct. That is correct, Frank, yes. for another point. I wanted Teddy, to stop you before you might have said something. Uh, what, what were you going to add there, Frank? Oh, I was going to say that Teddy took uh, JFK's seat when he became president, and, and, and RFK was uh, senator from New York. There you go. Uh, Ted and Bobby actually served part of their term simultaneously. Ted, of course, stayed in the Senate for 47 years. All right, Frank, yes. you were two for two. Here's question number three. Many people thought that John F. Kennedy Jr. would go into the family business of politics, but tragically, he died before he got the chance. One venture he did go into was publishing. What was the name of the magazine John John launched in September of 1995? That was George Magazine. Jill Michelle? That is correct. That is correct for the point. I have, you have a fun a... fact about that. Please, Courtney. Oh, cool. Cindy Crawford was on the first cover. All right. That's correct. And who was she dressed as, Courtney? George Washington. Yay! I don't even need to give the fun fact. I know things about the Kennedys, guys. You do. And you know, if that had been the question, who was on the cover of the first George magazine, I would not have had that answer. Really? Oh, interesting. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Frank, here's question number four. You're doing very well. In 1955, Jackie Kennedy broke her ankle at the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport while engaging in what common Kennedy family activity? Um, I'm guessing that would be touch football. Jill Michelle? That is correct. There you go. Another point for Frank. Would either of you like to provide the fun fact? Um, I, what about the, her breaking her ankle? That I don't think I, I, I know. No, that wasn't the fun part. Uh, no, I was <laughs> going to say that all four Kennedy brothers played football at Harvard. Oh, that's oh. right. One of the reasons it was such a popular activity. All right, Frank, you have a chance to go five for five. You haven't even used any of the hints yet. Here is question number five. This past summer, during the 2020 Democratic National Convention, Caroline Kennedy gave a speech along with her son, President Kennedy's grandson. His confident delivery and good looks set some Democratic hearts aflutter. What is the full name of this scion of the Kennedy dynasty? Uh, that, I guess I'll, go, I'll, I'll take my hint for this one. All right, Jill Michelle, how about that hint? It's four names, and his Twitter handle begins with at J as in John, B as in boy, K as in... Kite and S as in Sam, so it's J B K S. 
that would be J.B. Smooth. No, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> In the back of my mind, I know the name of her, hus her, her husband's last name, and it would probably be that, but at, at the moment, I just can't remember it. All right, no um, worries. Uh, it is a yeah. tricky one. All right, uh, no point there. That means, Courtney, you have a chance yeah. to steal. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> John Bartholomew Kennedy Sampson. Is it John Bartholomew Kennedy Sampson, Jill Michelle? No, it is not, but that no. was a great oh. try. <laughs> yeah, you actually, you actually I got half of it right. It's John it. Bouvier Kennedy ah. Schlossberg. Oh, Schlossberg is that last yeah. name. Yes, J-B-K-S. Uh, fun fact, his sisters are actor Rose Kennedy Schlossberg and journalist Tatiana Celia Kennedy Schlossberg. Still, you did very well in that round, Frank, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple uh. answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Uh-oh. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Here we go. Frank, John F. Kennedy became a World War II hero based on his valor after the sinking of a boat that he commanded in 1943. So for up to three points, what was the name of that boat? In what island archipelago, which became an independent country in 1978, did the boat sink? And what were one of the two medals that Kennedy received for his role in this incident? Well, the boat was PT-109. Uh, the island was was in the Pacific. That's all I know. I would think one of the medals uh, might have been a Purple Heart. Okay, so you're going to say PT-109, somewhere in the Pacific, and a Purple Heart. All right, right. Jill Michelle is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Jill Michelle, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a professor of international affairs at the Kennedy School of Harvard University and the author of a just-released book, JFK, Coming of Age in the American Century. It's Pulitzer Prize winner, Dr. G... Let me say his name again. Dr. Frederick Logoval. Hello, Dr. Logoval. Pleasure to be with you. Sorry Excellent, about that, a pleasure Dr. to have wow. <laughs> you. are forgiven. Uh, it's a Swedish name. People get it wrong. You are actually closer than many people. And you are from Sweden, if I'm not mistaken. I am indeed. Born and raised. <laughs> Excellent. And came to this country for graduate school. Oh, okay. I was going to say, how did you come to be such a, a, an acclaimed historian on American history of being from Sweden? Well, I think, I think you know, you're, you're, you live in a small country. You're interested in world affairs. You automatically become interested in the, in the, in the great behemoth, the United States. And then <laughs> we emigrated to Canada. So then you're right next door to the Americans. <laughs> you're just getting closer and exactly. closer. And then you come finally for graduate school right here. And there you go. There you go. Well, uh, the full title of the you book. You couldn't was... get into a better school than Harvard? What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working my way up, Frank. <laughs> okay. Well, the full title of your book, which is getting rave reviews and just came out, is called JFK Coming of Age in the American Century, 1917 to 1956. It is currently the number one book on Amazon in historical works. And I understand that this is just the first volume of, of a set that you're going to write on JFK. Yeah, I will pledge here with all of you tonight that it's going to be just two volumes. Pledge this okay. to my wife and my family. <laughs> Bob Caro, you, you probably know about Robert Caro, his ongoing sure, multi-volume sure. thing on Johnson. This will be just two. But yes, I decided I needed more than one volume to tell this the story of the Kennedys and the story of JFK. That's amazing. And why, why the demarcation point in 1956 is an interesting reason for that. Well, so there's this dramatic moment at the end of 1956. He's almost selected as Adlai Stevenson's running mate. And then I end the book with a conversation that he has with Joe Sr. Uh, Frank talked about him before, in which 
basically over Thanksgiving in Hyannisport, uh, they say, should, should you run for president in 60 or should you not? And the conversation ends with Jack saying to his dad, well, dad, I guess the only question is, when do we start? And so that's where mm. the book ends. And I hope readers will want to see the, the second part when, when, when that comes out. The man knows how to write a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I've heard some people say that it was a really, ultimately a good thing for JFK that he didn't get the, the Democratic nomination for vice president in 1956, that that would have maybe hurt him and prevented him from doing well in 1960. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it was actually. I mean, he was very he was a very competitive guy. And so when he didn't get the uh -huh. nod, uh, he was upset. But his father and others said, mm -hmm. look, Jack, this is the best thing that could have happened because you increased your visibility, you were a star of the convention, but you're not going to be saddled with the defeat because Eisenhower is going to win re-election and they'll blame it on right. your Catholicism. They'll say that you're mm. responsible for this defeat. So, yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, it, it, was, it was the best thing. He could then run for president without that stigma. Uh, Frank mentioned that he's seen his father's name in uh, books about Kennedy. I'm curious, In all, you did extensive research in this book. Uh, did any of, of Frank's father's work come up? Well, it's, uh, it was really interesting when you mentioned that. And I think the book that maybe you were referring to was The Patriarch by yes. David Nassau. Yes. And I know the book really well. And I know David, the author. It's a terrific book. And it's a great biography of Joe Kennedy Sr., and it does ring a vague bell. Does your father have the same surname, I take He's it? My, it's my same name. I'm his namesake, uh, Frank. Oh, Nader. that's right. Of course. And yes. one of the things they said in the book was he was very friendly to Joe Kennedy. And, and my dad was one of the journalists that Joe Kennedy knew he could go to if he wanted to get something out in the press and, you know, something that kind of favored him. Well, Joe Kennedy, and he passed this, by the way, on to his sons, but Joe Kennedy, uh, from an early point, he was in Hollywood uh, in, right. as a kind of movie mogul in the 20s. He decided, I think, that he wanted to cultivate the press. He had his own political ambitions, but he also taught his sons, you want to be on good terms with journalists, you want to use them to right, advance your right. careers. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that... Mm -hmm. He wanted to. Um, yeah, my dad, know. being the uh, Irish Catholic that he was, was kind of a kind of fit right in with them. Oh, it's fascinating! Mm -hmm. Totally fascinating. Now, uh, you've you've been teaching at Harvard. Is Harvard in session? How are they handling yes. classes in the in this pandemic time? It's it's totally strange. Uh, but I also feel for the administration. Uh, this is this is a difficult time. And so the class that I'm teaching is uh, over Zoom. You know, we we do the best we can. Uh, it has sure. certain maybe certain advantages, but let's be honest, it's not the same as being right there in a seminar room or a lecture hall, and you can mm -hmm. you can connect with students in a yeah. way that we can't. Yeah. You're talking to someone who we usually do this show in front of a live oh, audience. Of course, so yeah, can, yeah. I can relate to some to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, do you do you talk about Kennedy? In, I'm not sure what courses you're, you're, you've been teaching. Do you, do you teach your students about Kennedy? And what are they surprised to discover about Kennedy that maybe they didn't know? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, a, a popular course that I teach to, to the undergraduates is a course entirely focused on the Vietnam War, and I'll teach that next semester. And of course, Kennedy and Vietnam, that's an important part of his um, tenure. And in volume two of my book, I have to grapple with that. And of course, the students really want to know if he had lived, what mm. might he have done in Vietnam? And so that's mm. one of the things we grapple with. I think they're surprised by the degree to which he was a more serious 
and this is a theme in my book, by the way, a more serious student of politics and of history than perhaps we sometimes imagine. We think of him as a playboy, as somebody who wasn't particularly serious about anything until he maybe ran for president. Uh, I think what I show in the class, but also in the book, is that this is a guy who, even as an undergraduate, I think is really interested in public affairs. He's, it, it, he's been taught to value public life, to enter public service. Uh, and that's something that I think impresses, impresses the students. Mm. Well, thank goodness all of our presidents since then have been equally well-read on history and <laughs> take, take politics so seriously. You mentioned that you teach and are going to teach another course on Vietnam. You actually wrote a book on Vietnam called Embers of War that did pretty well. It won you the Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations. You were the, you were the first Pulitzer Prize winner we've had as our, as our expert. I, I, uh, won a, I, I, won a, I won a daytime Pulitzer Prize. I don't know if I told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's in a non-televised ceremony. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as, as much as I want to ask you about the content of the book, I'm just dying to know uh, what's it like to find out that you uh, won a Pulitzer Prize I, and how does it change your life? I, it was a total shock. And, and people will say, did you really not know that that was the day in which they were going to be announced, and I didn't. Now I know exactly when they're going to be announced. But at that point, I didn't know. I was <laughs> teaching at Cornell in central New York. I was a vice provost. I had a meeting with the provost. And when I came out of that meeting, my cell phone had just exploded. Uh, and it was the first one was from the publisher, Random House. And all it said was, we're jumping up and down. And I thought... <laughs> What does that mean exactly? <laughs> and then, of course, in the subsequent, uh, uh, in the thread, I could see the Pulitzer. So it was, it was, it was amazing. Uh, well, belated and, uh, congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank yes. you. Last thing I want to ask is that you're, you've written this incredible tome and are writing another one about Kennedy. It's almost 60 years since he died. Do you think uh, with our current president, are people still going to be writing books about him 60 years down the line, you think? Oh, I have no doubt. Uh, I mean, one of, the, yeah. one of the challenges for future historians, and this, this pertains not just to Trump, can historians in the future get access to the kind of archival and other documentation, the kinds of materials mm -hmm. that we which, you know, that's our bread and butter. Will we have that kind of uh, data? Uh, that's a question. But however people, however historians get their information about Donald Trump, uh, I think this era <laughs> in our nation's history is going to get all kinds of attention from historians. No question. Interesting. All right. Well, I could talk to you about this all night, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Frank regarding John F. Kennedy's involvement in that boat sinking incident in World War II. First, we wanted to know what was the name of that boat. Jill Michelle, what did Frank say? Frank said the PT-109. And Professor Logaval? He is absolutely correct. All right, very good. That's a point for Frank Conniff. <laughs> All right, next we wanted to know on what archipelago did that incident occur? Jill Michelle, what did Frank say? Frank said the Pacific. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sorry, we needed you to be a little bit more Pacific. Uh, that, of course, is not exactly accurate enough for our purposes. What was the name of that archipelago, Professor? It was the Solomon Islands. Uh, and uh, yes, I, actually, the Pacific is a little too large for these yes, purposes. A little, a little broad. Although, but, you know, although he did get one of the top two oceans that it might have been this in. This is true. Yes, we can yes. give him. Do you want to give him a half point? I, no, I'm seeing you shake your head now. All right. <laughs> no point there for Frank. But finally, we wanted to know what were one of the two medals that Kennedy received for his role in this incident? Jill and Michelle, what did Frank say? Frank said, Purple Heart. 
And uh, Dr. Logoval? That is absolutely correct. The second one, I might say, it was a Purple Heart. The second one was the Navy and Marine Corps Medal. But yes, Purple Heart is correct. Excellent. What, what were his injuries uh, in that? Well, he, he, uh, he had suffered from back injuries before. In fact, it was to some extent, I think, congenital. One part of his body, one part of his body was, it was kind of askew, I guess I could say. Uh, but then in the collision, in the ramming of PT-109, he suffered further back injuries. Uh, mm. And as a result, uh, partly for that reason, got these, these uh, medals. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Lowell, it's been wonderful for you to join us. If people want to find your book and find out more about you, where can they go? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of the last people in the world who is not on social media. So that's, uh, you <laughs> wow. can't go there. But uh, Random House, uh, obviously, we'll have information about the book. Your local independent bookstore, I hope, has Yay. the book. And then, of course, the mega retailers, I think you could also turn to for, uh, for this uh, volume one. Excellent. And again, it is called JFK Coming of Age in the American Century, 1917 to 1956. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Dr. Frederick Logoval. Thank Yay. you. Great to be I here. I learned a lot. Well Thank done, you. Frank. Good <laughs> to Thank be you. with you. What, what an honor to talk to you. Great to meet you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. What is our score at the end of that round? At the end of the round, we have Frank with eight points and Courtney with one point. That's right. We're going to talk with Courtney about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Courtney and Frank will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Together, we're The Flophouse. A podcast where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Movies like Space Hobos, Into the Outer Reaches of the Unknown and the Things That We Don't Know, the movie, and also, who's that grandma? Zazzle Zippers, Breakdown 2, and Backhanded Compliment. Elvis is a Policeman. Baby Crocodile and the Happy Twins. Leftover Potatoes? Station Wagon 3. Herbie Goes to Hell. New episodes available every other Saturday. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where the score is Frank Conniff with eight points and Courtney Hengler with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Jill Michelle. All right, Courtney, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about (laughs) (laughs) Please, let me get through this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Of your many interests, Courtney, you told us you know a lot about Britney Spears, the TV show Beverly Hills 90210, and cooking for a Jewish man who is afraid of butter. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Britney Spears. Listen, guys, I'm deep. I'm deep. <laughs> <laughs> the river runs real deep. She, she intoxicated me uh, in 97 when she buffed oh, up. Yeah. First I was, oh, oh, um, yeah. You know, Joe yeah. Michelle, you actually did Britney Spears. Uh, was it on Mad TV? Yes, I did. Oh, I love you. I love you. Toxic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this speaks, I mean, this speaks to her. I totally. feel like, you know how all men have like their own Christopher Walken impression? I feel like it's a universal thing. Like all men like do like a Christopher Walken. Right. I feel like all women have like a version of Britney Spears. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I can do it. I can't, but you can. 
Yes. And so what is it that you love about Britney so much, Courtney? I just, you know what? I, I, I just found the whole package very intriguing in, in when I was, when she first burst in the scene. And I've been rooting for her ever since. I follow her Instagram. I make my husband follow her Instagram. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, that's, that's my girl. That's my, that's, she's my girl. Saw awesome. her. And, I, I made my entire bachelorette party go see her in Vegas. Oh, that's great. And, and they were all like, 90% of them were like, why? And there was like three of us who were like, because this is the greatest night of my life. Yeah, so at least you were conscious enough to realize that you were making them go. That was the, that was the operative <laughs> word that you oh, used. Yes. I oh, made yes. them go. Yes. All right. I you did. also said, Courtney, that you know a lot about the TV show Beverly Hills 90210. Mm. You know, 90210, it burst on the scene in the 90s. So I was, you know, like, Three. Uh, yeah, I me was, too. I, I was not three. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was a very it was just that formative time in your life, and I feel like so when she, before Shannon Doherty left the show, that was like when I really I mean that's when how I learned to like be a woman was watching nine hundred two one zero. Wow. So, so that probably explains a lot. Um, <laughs> Courtney, did you practice in the mirror that done it done it in your turn into the camera? I, I of course, do. I yeah. still do. <laughs> you still what do. do. You think I did on the bathroom break, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little older. I'm from the rotary phone age. Uh, I was mu- I was I was much more into Murray Hill 90210. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Beverly Hillbillies 90210. Well, that's that that would make sense too. Yeah. Uh, and then finally Courtney this tracks. You said you know a lot about cooking for a Jewish man who is afraid of butter. Uh, that would be my husband. He is a lovely <laughs> Jewish man who won't touch butter. So we've been married for 5 years and we've been dating for longer than that so i know always to make a meal that includes butter without butter and so uh do you substitute something else or do you just find ways to avoid them sometimes i substitute butter (laughs) sometimes it works out in my favor sometimes it doesn't (laughs) and so can you give us an example what's a meal that you might make where you have to adapt it for uh, his delicate constitution uh i have a a, my my favorite recipe is a halibut recipe it's literally called butter roasted halibut <laughs> oh, but, no. it's, but it's 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 super easy to make but it's so like it's so it's such a beautiful thing to present for company and it's lovely and you can feed a lot of people and i make it for a company all the time and my husband eats it all the time and i'm like no it's olive oil babe you know i, I roast it with olive oil and, <laughs> it's, okay. and is it olive oil sometimes Okay. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with eating a lot of butter, as I said to my doctor right before my quadruple bypass operation last year. <laughs> yes, yes. Frank, you're a Jewish man, aren't you? No, I'm, I'm only only spiritual, only like on a spiritual level. Uh, only only, be, only because I'm a, co- a comedian. Yes, exactly. Yes. But I have, only in Hollywood. Um, only in Hollywood. But I, I did. All right. I, I did have a quadruple bypass last year. So, oh gosh. So I. Wow. So more power to you for cooking without butter. So to summarize, Courtney, you told us you know a lot about Britney Spears, the TV show Beverly Hills 90210, and cooking for a Jewish man who is afraid of butter. Tonight we want to quiz you about Beverly Hills 90210. Yes! You seem very relieved and pleased by that. Well, you know what? We're going to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, there have been a bunch of uh, reboots and spinoffs of it. Uh, have you followed it in all of its different incarnations? I have. I have. I, I don't know if I should say that with such pride, but I have. thousand <laughs> percent. I have uh, even the most recent they did a they did a reboot with the original cast minus Luke Perry obviously um, but and even that and even I was watching going 
I want this to continue, and it's not. Aww. It's not continuing. Makes me sad. Yeah, that was a that was a fun interpretation. They were sort of playing versions of the the actors themselves. Um, yeah. And do you, do you have a favorite episode or moment from the uh, from the original series? Yes, the prom. This is spring dance. It's when Brenda lost her virginity. It's it's that's how I learned to be a woman, guys. <laughs> that's, that's what you meant. Resolution. That's what you meant when you learned to be a woman. <laughs> she literally meant it. No. Yeah, guys. Uh, well, here's a fun fact. I was on an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Wow. Uh, Wait, the original? Had, the original, yes. I was on the reunion episode, uh, and I had a big scene with uh, Ian Ziering. They call him oh. IZ on the set. Uh, oh. And uh, it was cut from the show, and oh. I didn't find out until it aired. It aired. Of course. Uh, uh. But You're I, a hero, you, though. But you, thank you. You can still see me. I mean, there's, there's, a, there was a final shot of that scene where the crowd is, is, is watching him. Uh, I think accidentally appear naked on stage, and you can see my reaction shot. And you know, every once in a while, I get eight cents because they show it in you know Paraguay or something like that. Fantastic. So, uh, so all of all of our questions will be about my scene. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, just Let's ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in this subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But to let you show your love, here are your five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for two of these five questions. Now, Frank, do listen closely because if Courtney enters incorrectly, you can steal. Frank, by the way, how much do you know about Beverly Hills 90210? Um, very little. Um, almost nothing, I would is the, is, the, is the God's honest truth. And um, I, I didn't, uh, I, I never, I never really saw it. Uh, yeah, in fact, I believe you, you call the show Beverly Hills 90,210. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm completely, I was, I was not in the demographic that that show was going after. I understand. All right, well, Courtney, here is your quiz. It sounds like it's yours to lose. Uh, I should note that we're going to be focusing on the original series only, so yes. uh, for what that's worth. All right, here we go, question number one. The actor who played Donna just happened to have the same last name of the producer of the show because she just happened to be his daughter. Who was this legendary TV producer Aaron who probably... Spelling. Let me finish my question sorry, and joke. Sorry. Who sorry. was this legendary TV producer who probably had nothing to do with his daughter being cast in a lead role? <laughs> Aaron Spelling. Jill Michelle. That is correct. That is correct for the points. Sorry, Dick. Uh, fun fact, even though he was best known as a producer, Aaron Spelling started as an actor, and you may remember him as a country hick gas station attendant on an episode of I Love Lucy. Oh, wow, yeah. Question number two for Courtney Hengler. Beverly Hills 90210 was initially about a brother and sister adjusting to their new high school in Beverly Hills. What was the name of that high school? West Beverly High. Jill Michelle? That is correct. That is right. It is correct. Uh, fun fact, there actually is no such thing as West Beverly High School. Uh, Torrance High School was often used as its filming location. Courtney, you had something you wanted to say on that? I was going to say it's Torrance High School and also filmed Beverly the Vampire Slayer there Oh, as cool, well. cool. Uh, that, that show, I know of. That show I, I watched a lot. That's, a fanta- that's another favorite of mine. Okay. Well, if Courtney likes both of them, Frank, maybe you should get into 90210. We'll see. How right, much, here's question how much, number three. How many vampires are killed on 90210? <laughs> <laughs> here's question number three. What actor was fired from 90210 after 16 episodes of playing single mother Carly Reynolds and then went on to win two Oscars for Best Actress? That would be Hilary Swank. Jill Michelle? 
That is correct. Yes, very good, Courtney. Uh, Courtney, you just mentioned that uh, you have that uh, fun connection with Hilary Swank. Of course, she also <laughs> was the next Karate Kid. Karate Kid. I'm yes. full circle here, guys. Full it circle. all comes back together. You're three for three, Courtney. Here's question number four. The Peach Pit wasn't only a fun place to hang out, but after dark, you could see some amazing musical acts there. But which of the following music artists did not perform on the original 90210? Was it Christina Aguilera, Adam Levine, Color Me Bad, Letters to Cleo, or The Flaming Lips? I would say that was Adam Levine. Jill Michelle? You are incorrect. No, I'm terribly sorry. That means Frank with a chance to steal. Oh, oh which one uh, uh, what, it wasn't? Well, which I, one I, did not perform? Yeah, I'm going to so, I'm gonna just guess, uh, uh, total guess, Christine Aguilera. That is incorrect. Jill Michelle? <laughs> I knew it would be. I knew it would be. That is incorrect. That is incorrect as well. No, Christina Aguilera and Adam Levine did appear. Letters to huh. Cleo never appeared on the show. Uh, Adam Levine appeared as part of his band Kara's Flowers, which later changed their name to Maroon 5. Oh, but, dang. That's yeah, some good I trivia. Think, some yes, good no, trivia hint, right there. The hint might have helped on that. You do still have a hint available. Here's question number five. In the first episode, we meet David Silver, played by Brian Austin Green, who went on to appear in nearly every one of the show's nearly 300 episodes. We also meet his nerdy friend who did not make it past season two. What was the name of David's friend and the actor who played him? Name was Scott, his name on the show, and I actually know this. This is terrible. You do this have a hint terrible. available if you'd like to use oh, the hint. I'd like, I'd, like, I'd like my hint, please. Jill Michelle, how about that hint? The character name rhymes with... Blot Blanlin, the actor name rhymes with Bugless Blimerson. Douglas Emerson is the actor's name, and Scott. Scott Scanlon? No, that doesn't sound right. Jill well, Michelle? Maybe it does. Maybe it does sound right. <laughs> <laughs> You are correct. You Yay! are correct. Very Yay. nice, Courtney. You nailed it. Excellent use of that Thanks. hint. How did you how did you pull it from Blugless Blemerson? I don't I know. I mean, you... it's just <laughs> so obtuse. Uh, very good. All right, you did quite well in that round, Courtney, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Courtney, 90210 was beloved by fans, but not as much by the Television Academy. In fact, its only Emmy nomination was for Guest Actor on the Season 5 episode titled Sentenced to Life. On that episode, one of the main characters begins serving his 100 hours of court-appointed community service after pleading guilty to disturbing the peace when a fire broke out at a rave he'd hosted. He performs his service at a retirement home where he meets an elderly former entertainer. So, for up to three points, what legendary comedian who was 87 years old at the time received that Emmy nomination for playing that ex-entertainer? What main character did he interact with? And what regular cast member of 90210 co-wrote that episode's story? Uh, I'm going to say the actor I'm going to put on hold who, won the, okay. who was nominated for an Emmy. Okay. Uh, but I, I want to say it was probably Steve Sanders okay. who that maybe he character. met. Okay. Who met in the and the who co-wrote it? I'm gonna say Jason Priestley. Okay. Just for funsies. Okay. Um, and then the 87-year-old comedian at the time who received the Emmy nomination for playing the ex-entertainer. I'm picturing a. I'm, I'm picture. I'm picturing a face. Okay. I can't put a name to it. Okay. It's a probably a dude. If you can draw the face, we'll give you the point. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we do need a name otherwise. Um. Hal Hallerston. 
Hal Hallis. <laughs> All right, Jill Michelle is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for oh, sure. God. Jill is Michelle, <laughs> who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor who stars in the CW show Swamp Thing and who played Steve Sanders for all 10 seasons of Beverly Hills 90210. <gasps> oh my gosh, my favorite. Uh-oh. It's Ian Zeering. Hello, Ian Zeering. <laughs> Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Answer. Hi. Ian Zeering, you look exactly the same as you did on 90210. Oh, well, I'll take that as a compliment. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll talk about 90210 in a second, but I want to talk first about Swamp Thing, uh, the show that you're on. Uh, you played Daniel Cassidy, who is Blue Devil. Uh, were you a fan of the comic, of the original Swamp Thing comic? Oh, my gosh. That comic came out in the early 80s, and I was a fan instantly. I used to read comic books. And Swamp Thing was the perfect superhero. It was a guy who, like, fell into the swamp. The swamp took his spirit, killed the body, but resurrected as the Swamp Thing. And within the context of that universe, there's Dan Cassidy, who he himself turns into uh, the Blue Devil, which is a demon, but he uses his powers for good instead of evil. So he's got that going for him. And uh, a fun little fact is uh, the original Swamp Thing comic was created by Len Wein, who actually was our very first guest on the pilot we did for Go Fact Yourself. And his widow, uh, Christine Velotti, is our show's photographer. So it's kind of a fun coincidence that that all comes together. Um, have you always, had you always wanted to play a superhero? And had you gotten a chance to do so before this? Are you kidding? What eight-year-old boy wouldn't <laughs> want to be a superhero? It's a dream job. It was so exciting. They put a suit on me. It, it Probably about a half a million dollars in research and design into this suit. Um, it weighed wow. about... 10 pounds at the most. It's full body suit. I've got sclera, contact lenses. Um, you know, it transforms you. It, you know, really helps get into character when you look nothing like your, your former self. And it's so badass. I, I, I'm telling you, the eight-year-old boy in me was so excited to play this character, as is the, uh, the man I am now. It was just dream come true. That's really cool. Uh, now, originally, the show was on DC Universe, a streaming service for Warner Brothers. It got canceled after one episode, and then all of a sudden, it got rescued by the CW. What, what was that journey like? Everyone had such high hopes. This is top of the food chain film production. They spent over $100 million on these 10 episodes. It's astonishing. 90% of the special effects are practical effects, very little done with the computer. Um, <clears throat> puppeteers, uh, artists, um, they pulled out every stop to make uh, this this production so jaw-dropping that it's uh, – and it got canceled. I don't know. I think there was some bureaucratic baloney mm. behind the scenes. I'm not sure why exactly. Um, this is a show that probably should have run for years. I'm glad it's going to be back on the CW on October 6th. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on it then and, uh, mm. you know – Swamp Thing never dies. I can really, I can really feel the, the the faith that you have in this. Oh my God! When it was canceled, everybody just dropped their jaw. They couldn't mm. believe that what we had put together wasn't going to run for years. It was set up to do that, but uh, for one reason or another, you know what? Mm. Hollywood works in mysterious ways. Well, I can. Uh, well, speaking of mysterious ways, uh, you were, you were involved in one of the most mysterious successes uh, of recent years, which is the Sharknado franchise, uh, <laughs> and it, you have such a great sense of humor about it. And and, and I read that you uh, took the job for the reason that you needed your, the health insurance. I got yeah. two kids. I had to take care of my kids. I got to make sure I get my health insurance. You know, being a dad's not a, a an endeavor that I will dare to fail. So. 
I'll do whatever it takes. And even if it meant doing a crappy movie, or so I thought, like Sharknado, <laughs> you know, got to go to work. Got to go to work. Got to provide. Got to be a dad. Got to look out for my kids. Look out for my family. I had no idea it was going to yeah. turn into six movies, Sharknado. Oh, my God. I read the first script, and it was so bad. There were so many holes in it <laughs> that were left to be filled by visual effects. I couldn't understand how they were going to do it, especially with a micro budget. And I got on the set, and I didn't know the director. I knew the production company would – they did a lot of cheesy stuff. And I was like, oh, good God. All right, getting my health insurance, getting my health insurance. The director would tell me to run through this big, long parking lot and dodge and jump and wave my hands. And that was – that's the direction he gave me. I said <laughs> – but what, what, what? It's all there's sharks flying out of the sky. And, and, you know, so you just had to trust. You just had to believe that they had a vision and that they were going to be able to deliver that vision. But I had no faith. But you know what? I showed up. I tried to be as professional as I've always tried to be. And you do the job that's asked of you. And mm. when I saw it, it was like suddenly a safety net appeared because the visual effects artists didn't clown me. You know, if I'd like mm. swung my fist, I was... Curious, well, are they going to put the right size fish in there? <laughs> like if I jump too high and they put like a guppy underneath me, I'm going to look like an idiot. A question every actor asks on their journey, on their artistic journey. Yeah. So, you know, as we did more and more of these movies, I became more bold in my movements, knowing that the visual mm. effects artists would have my back. Just a blast. And I that still, to this day, even though I'm a fan of it, can't believe yeah. we've done six of those movies. They're even thinking there's going to be a Sharknado in real life now, <laughs> considering what's happening in uh, Yeah. Yes. What, what else could happen? It's yeah. so dark outside. You smell smoke in the air. It's the apocalypse, people. It's happening. I got to say, Sharknado would be refreshing at this point. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about 90210. Uh, they've had some incredible guest stars. We mentioned some of the music acts that had been on 90210. Uh, there was an episode where you got to go golfing with Barry Bonds. Uh, are, are there any favorite guests that uh, stand out for you? Pretty much most of Hollywood worked on 90210 at that time. We, uh, who was my favorite? I don't know. Um... You know, I, I I like the core actors that I worked with. We became yeah. family. We went through the fire together. We rose to great heights together, and we were always there to cheer each other on. When the tide came in, we all rose, and we were all very appreciative for everyone's contribution. So, you know, mm -hmm. these are like brothers and sisters to me. That's really cool. I think it shows. Yeah. Uh, what was Aaron Spelling like? What kind of relationship did you, did you have with him? We mentioned him earlier and, and the amazing career that he had. Such a sweet, wonderful man. He'd watch dailies every day. He would call and let you know you did a great job. He wouldn't call and let you know you did a bad job. <laughs> it was nice. He'd show up on set and, oh, Ian, how you doing? How's everything? And he'd have his pipe. And um, we got to go to his house. And, uh, you know, the manor that they built in uh, Homeby Hills was just astonishing. I remember I went into their library. I'm looking at all these first edition books. I pulled one off the, the shelf and it was first edition Winnie the Pooh. I was like, ah! That's awesome. And not ostentatious. I mean, for a guy who was so successful, you know, when he did drive himself, he drove a Ford pickup. Hmm. Uh, when the show wrapped after those nearly 300 episodes, did you keep anything from the set? I took a few things. I took a jukebox off the counter of the Peach Pit uh, we wrapped that scene and I put my arms around it and I pulled it off the counter and I'm walking out and the AD's like, hey, hey Z, wh where are you going with that? I said, oh, we're, we're done in here, right? And he said, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm, 
going back. I'm going home. <laughs> I've got that. I've got. I still have some clothing from Steve Sanders. Stuff that <laughs> I cannot believe I wore. <laughs> like I didn't have a camera. I didn't have a, a mirror. I didn't have a friend. No one told me. Until I saw it. What the hell was I like buttoning the top button of a dress shirt without a? It was the '90s. That's what yeah, we did then. '90s. Yeah, and and I'm sure there are a lot of there are a lot of people who wore their clothes like that because you did. Uh-huh. And I want to apologize to all of them. For, for that <laughs> Didn't you roll your sleeves too? I I I did. He you wore roll a <laughs> he wore a crop top like nobody's oh, business. Damn. He wore yes. a crop top better than. Oh yeah. I I still like a crop top on a guy because of the formative years of Nano Two and O and Ian Ziering. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. I feel shame. I feel shame. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, there are plenty of actors who would have loved to have uh, been embarrassed wearing something like that for yep. 300 episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll take it with uh, a grain of salt. La- it all works yeah, Absolutely. Out. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, something in your, your uh, early resume that I wasn't aware of is uh, that you were on Broadway when you were a young man, and you actually, you actually performed at the Tony Awards. I did. This was, of course, before my balls dropped when I actually had a voice. <laughs> um, I uh, was Richard Rodgers' last musical, I Remember Mama. It starred that incredible vocal talent, Lee Oman. <laughs> if you know Lee Oman, um, she's an amazing actress. Not really a singer, but did okay. It was, I thought it was kind of weird casting at the time, but um, worked with George Hearn, George S. Irving, um, some incredible Thomas Meehan, Martin Charnin, um, people that were icons of the industry. Um, started off in Philadelphia uh, in previews as an understudy and the lead character of Nils got sick and I had to go on without a rehearsal. I knew all my lines. I knew everything. He had a sore throat. So he was waiting in the wings, telling me to move here, go over there. Oh, my gosh. I was so scared. I went on there and, and I gave it the best that I could. And there's this one song. It was called Maybe. And there was a high C in it. A high C is such a beautiful note. Especially when it's sung from a young boy, it's so it's mm-hmm. angelic, and I didn't have it on the day. I didn't have it, <gasps> so all of a sudden it comes to the song, the song, and it maybe, 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 and it's getting higher, and I don't have it, and I squeal, and I look at the maestro in the pit, and he's like, "Oh, it's okay," and he keeps going, and oh my god, they're gonna fire me if I can't hit if I can't hit the note. How can I be the kid's understudy? They're gonna fire me. I went home in tears that night. My mom and dad were like, don't worry on it. It's okay. It's okay. And the next morning, I get a call from the producer, Alexander Cohn, very prolific Broadway producer. He says, Ian, and I'm dying. I'm waiting for the axe to fall. Did a great job last night. Oh, so he's buttering me up. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Um, So much so, we're going to give you the part. (gasps) They just felt that I was a better fit with the family. They recomposed the music for me. So it wouldn't be such a, a reach. And uh, I got to open with the show in Broadway. And I felt bad wow. for the for the uh, the guy that I replaced. He was such a, such a nice, it was a friend of mine. And, it, you know. What a story. Uh, I could hear these stories all night, but let's get to the reason first that we brought you here as far yes. as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Courtney. We wanted to know about that uh, episode, Sentence to Life, first. Yeah. We wanted to know. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Yes, Courtney. Oh. I, 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 the face came to me and the name came to me. Milton Burl? Well, let's find out. We wanted to know who was the legendary comedian who secured 90210's only Emmy nomination. Jill Michelle, what did Courtney say? Courtney did say <laughs> Hal Hallerston. And who, in fact, was it, Ian Ziering? It was Milton Burl. 
Oh! I knew it was going to come to me. Oh. Uh, Ian, would you like to give it to her uh, because she's such a fan? Uh, you like to give her the I point? I think so. I think so. But okay, that's a point for Courtney. Yay. Very nice, Courtney. Okay, so congratulations. That is a point from the very generous Ian Ziering for Courtney Engler. Thank you, Ian Ziering. All right, next we wanted to know with what main character did Milton Berle interact? Jill Michelle, what did Courtney say? Courtney said Steve. And Ian Ziering? Steve Sanders. That is correct. They're a point. Very good. And then finally, we wanted to know what cast member co-wrote that story of Sentence to Life. Jill Michelle, what did Courtney say? Courtney said Jason Priestley. It was probably it was probably Ian Ziering, wasn't it? (laughs) Ian? It was me. It was him. So, Ian, tell us a little bit about how you came up with that story and what, what it was like to work with Milton Berle. Um, I had a grandma in a nursing home, and though she didn't suffer from Alzheimer's, when I would go visit her, I would see people there that would be sitting in the hallway with these blank expressions on their face. And at a very young age, I, was, I, I came to understand what it was. And because our show was youth-oriented, I didn't think that you know kids my age knew anything about Alzheimer's. So I wanted to bring it to them in a way that they would understand it. And I pitched the idea uh, for over a year. And the producers were like, thanks, Ian. No, no. And then <laughs> I felt it was so poignant, I wrote a scene um, because I wanted to write this. I wrote a scene where um, Steve was working in a nursing home and his friend there, who we had been interacting with all along, uh, was fine and jovial. And then this one day where Steve is like handing lemonade to all the the residents of the home and they're all painting on their easels and Steve walks his, walks through everyone is giving everybody you know their their lemonade and he comes to Saul uh, played by Milton Berle looking at the canvas but we can't see the canvas from the perspective we just see Saul's face looking at it and I say hey Saul what's going on how about some lemonade and he's blank are you all right buddy and he's still blank and then I come around and we reveal his his canvas and his canvas was blank. So that was poignant enough uh, to get through to the writers that, wow, I, I got a chance to uh, that I moved them enough to uh, to make it, you know, to let them write write the episode. That's really great. That's beautiful. We all got and, quiet because uh, it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's very, that's very sweet, very compassionate. Uh, before we let you go, Courtney, is there anything you'd like to uh, ask or say to Ian Ziering while we have him here? Uh, this is just a fun fact. I've actually hung out with Ian Ziering before. Ooh. Oh. This is, this is, watch Courtney make this really awkward. Um, <laughs> I, a million years ago, I bartended at a bar. This isn't story isn't going where you think it's going. <laughs> I bartended at a bar. I was bartending with another friend of mine, and I think... Ian was speaking with her, and maybe he had a friend with them, but they were like, we're having a party tomorrow. You should totally come. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm bringing my friend Courtney. And I'm like, I'm totally going. Oh, my God. And we went, and he was there, and we spoke, and we talked about Long Island, and I kept saying I was from Seaford, and he kept being like, it's beautiful there. And I'm like, um. <laughs> He's like, it's gorgeous. I'm like, I don't know if it is. Anyway, and then I think I drank a lot, and I think I called him Steve. <laughs> so, Ian, do you remember that one time some lady Ian that you met in a again. bar came and called you Steve? <laughs> Uh, I remember talking vaguely about Seaford, Long Island. Okay. okay. And it was you. I swear to God. Like, that's not something that comes up. But I remember somewhere in some place in my past talking about Seaford, Long Island. I made a movie there, Endless Love, 100 years ago. And 
Yeah, I think that's what we talked about. Yeah. Anyway, small. Anyway, so that's my that's my small connection. There you well, go. It's good to see you again. Very kind. Uh, all right, uh, Ian, it's so wonderful that you joined us. If people want to find out about Swamp Thing and more about you, where can they go? Uh, all of my social handles are at Ian Ziering, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And if you want to find out more about Swamp Thing, all you need to do is Google it. It's going to be on the CW Network, airs October 6th, a 90-minute premiere. Don't miss it, people. It's going to be amazing television. Well, it was amazing podcasting to have you join us. Thank you so much. Ian Ziering, everybody. Yay. Thank you. Thanks for having me, everybody. All right, what is our score as we go into the final round? Before the final round, our scores are Frank, eight points, and Courtney, seven points. All right, we got ourselves a close game. Very nice comeback there, Courtney. Now it is time for our final round that we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Frank and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Frank, Phil Collins was in the band Genesis. True. Correct. Courtney, Phil Collins replaced Peter Gabriel as lead singer of Genesis. True. Correct. Frank, Phil Collins wrote a book. True. Correct. Courtney, Phil Collins' book was a cookbook. True. Incorrect. No, Ah. no, sorry, it was a memoir. Frank, Phil Collins' book came out in 1986. False. Correct. Courtney, Phil Collins' book came out in 1996. True. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry. Believe it or not, it came out in 2016. Frank, Phil Collins' book was called Against All Odds. True. Incorrect. No, but it should have been. Courtney, Phil Collins' book was called In the Air Tonight. False. Correct. No, but it should have been. Frank, (laughs) Phil Collins' book was called Not Dead Yet. False. Incorrect. No, it really was. Uh, Courtney, the book made the New York Times bestseller list. True. Correct. And finally, Frank, it replaced Peter Gabriel on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, False. We're not going to count that one. That was just for fun. Let's thank Frank Conniff and Courtney Hangler as Jill Michelle tabulates the final score. Jill Michelle, are you ready to announce the winner of today's Uh. show? At the end of the game... Courtney Hengler has 10 points, and Frank Conniff has 11 points. Oh, By one point, squeaker. congratulations. What a great high-scoring game. <laughs> what a great high-scoring game. Congratulations, Frank. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? Um, I'm going to um, buy every Phil Collins album. And yes! <laughs> an excellent use of your championship it. currency. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to give everyone here a chance to promote anything that they would like. Uh, let's start with uh, you, Frank Conniff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, I'm at Frank Conniff on Twitter and uh, Frank Conniff on Facebook, and I believe at F Conniff on Instagram. And uh, we have a show coming up in October, Trace Blue, you and I. We're going to be doing another live streaming, Mystery Science Theater style uh, movie riffing show. That'll be sometime coming up this month so check all my social media and there'll be all the information you want about that excellent it was wonderful to see you again and thanks so much for being here Frank Conniff thank you so much it was so much fun thank you oh I'm so glad to hear that Uh, Courtney Hangler my friend where can people find you and your work um, come to my house in Huntington, Long Island. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did not know that was an option. Uh, I am at Courtney Hangler, if you can spell that, God willing. Uh, Courtney Hangler at Instagram, Hangler Court at Twitter, even though I don't know how to tweet. And 
That's what I got. Oh, and then uh, if you like celebrities and the surrogates that they hire and then torture them, please watch my movie, Secret Life of Celebrity Surrogate, on Lifetime. Also, Cobra Kai is the number one show in the world. What? <laughs> what? Excellent. Wonderful to have you. Uh, congratulations on all of that, and thank you for being here, Courtney. Uh, my hosting partner tonight, stepping in and being Rookie of the Year, Jill Michelle Mellion. Where can people find you? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram and all other social media platforms at Jilly Online. And if you're in need of watching some more television on Amazon Prime, I've got some movies there called In Vino. This is Meg and my one hour stand up special called White Latina. You can also um, just stalk me too. I like it too. (laughs) Very interesting promotions going on for the US for the women here. Come to Courtney's house and stalk Jill. Guys, our, our listeners have to know the, the boundaries, don't they? We'll find out. Thanks for being here and stepping in. We really appreciate it. A great job. Wonderful to see you again, Jill Masamelian. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. I just need to thank Frank Conniff, Courtney Hangler, Dr. Frederick Logoval, Ian Ziering, and Jill Michelle Melian. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Erkman013 did. He, she, or they said, this is easily one of my favorite podcasts. I love getting a laugh and learning at the same time. Thanks, Erkman013. Funny coincidence, that was my grandfather's name, Erkman013 Van Stratton. Jill Michelle? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Michael Caprio at Caprio Media Design, Ted Hardwick, Raven Snook, Harlem Bull, Sarah Rodenbaugh, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Jill Michelle Melian. Let's go watch 90210. Yay! Popcorn. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.